All right, today we're finishing a series that we've been in called Relate. Relate isn't just the name of the church. Relate is a process, a step-by-step process in dealing with conflict in our lives. Anytime you have a negative emotion, there's conflict. Anytime you feel bad, something negative is happening, there's conflict. There's something in you that is threatened. And being able to take those threats to God is what brings healing, but it also brings sanity in our lives. How many of you are half insane at least most of the time? (laughs) So knowing that there's something that we can do, especially when it feels like there's somebody else making me insane, when it feels like someone else is in control of my life, when it feels like someone else is doing something that is driving me nuts, and I don't know what to do about them, this is a step-by-step process for me to be able to regain control in my life and power in my life, in my thinking, but it also affects every part of your life. How many of you know your thoughts and your feelings affect your health? It affects everything in your life. And so this is a step-by-step process to be able to begin dealing with those things in your life, and and honestly, it brings a lot of sanity to you, especially in a time of difficulty or struggle or when, when you're dealing with somebody that's trying to control you in your life. So today we're going to finish up the Relate process um, by talking about Esau's soup. Esau's soup. All right, so before we get there, though, what is R? Reroute my thinking. E. Elevate others. L. List my threats, A, accept my part. All right, let me back up. What are the three threats? Security, significance, intimate relationships. What are the seven deadly sins? List my threats, the seven deadly sins. Not list my threats, accept my part. Accept my part is the sin that I'm using to try to fix the threats in my life, right? So accept my part, seven deadly sins. You guys can't even list them, can you? You do them all day long, don't you? (laughs) What's the mother of all sin? Pride, Pride, anger, lust, greed, gluttony, envy, and sloth. All right? Very good. Some of you are throwing those out there. Awesome. Good job, Hopper. (laughs) He knows them all really well. All right. So, uh, T, turn from my sin to God, right? Turn from my sin. Now that we've listed what sins I'm participating in in order to deal with the threats in my life, I turn from that sin to God. I take those threats to God. God, you're my security. God, you're my significance. You say that I'm your child. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about me, right? And intimate relationships. Father, you've promised me eternal relationships, and if everybody here walks from me or is taken from me, I belong to you and I trust you that for eternity I'm going to have good relationships. There's healing in that. There's peace in that, especially if you've lost somebody that you love, right? And there's peace in that and sanity in that. So this is a process for you to be able to work through every situation in your life that you find threat. And the last E is enlist accountability. That means get yourself immersed into a place of people with a people that that doesn't just say, oh, that's tough. Yeah, I'd be really mad about that too. 
But people that say, okay, well, how does that threaten you? People that bring accountability into your life, all right? So today we're going to finish up this series with Esau's soup. Don't make the rest of your life about a bowl of soup. The decisions that you make today can affect the rest of your life. Turn on the news, you'll see people who have made the rest of their life about one bowl of soup. They took a momentary pleasure or momentary revenge and said, this little bowl of soup is worth having even if it destroys the rest of my life. That's what we see all over the news. Something that could have simply been a speed bump in life suddenly became a mountain to them. Something that was so simple was made into something way bigger than it should have been. And that's what our brains do when pride gets a hold of us and says, they did this, therefore you deserve to do this. This week we saw a situation in Dallas where road rage turned into probably a long time sentence in prison. Didn't have to be. What if he had rerouted his thinking? What if he just let it go? What if he had just backed off? What if he had just chilled out? Now, we don't know the whole situation, but we do know that it takes two to tango. And if we just back off, if we reroute our thinking, well, he could have certainly had a better July 4th weekend. Let's put it that way. Last Saturday in Plano, a man killed his five foot one little wife. Now, we don't know why. Does it matter? I mean, you take a life. She probably did something small, but what did he do? Exaggerated it, made it, made it bigger than it should have been. So rerouting our thinking is so important. Instead of letting the threats of life, instead of letting what other people are doing, the little stuff that people are doing, even if it all adds up to this, we end up doing this. And so what we don't want to do is have this little bowl of soup dictate the rest of our lives. And not only does it affect our life, the rest of your life, but it affects your children, it affects your grandchildren, it affects the people in your church family, it affects your community. So our story today comes from Genesis chapter 25, the story of twin brothers named Jacob and Esau. This is a wonderful story, it's an awesome story, and we're going to mostly talk about Esau today though. You see, these two brothers are the poster children for opposite twins. They may have grown up in the same womb, they may, or may have grown in the same womb, they may have had the same parents, they grew up in the same home with the same values, but these two, these two guys were total opposites of each other. Esau was the firstborn. If you remember the story, when Esau came out of his mother, Jacob was holding on to his heel. And that's what the name Jacob actually means, heel grabber. And so they pulled Esau out and this little hand came out with him. Wouldn't that have been a fun sight? But Esau was named Esau because he was covered with red hair. The scripture says it, covered with red hair, so, that he, so they named him Esau. Esau means hairy. He was a hairy baby. He was a miniature Bigfoot. So... Esau's life, this is what he is known as. He was not known as a spiritual man. 
In fact, he's mostly known for this one thing. He sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Now, if you understand what birthright is, especially back then, he had the right as the firstborn son to take over the estate when his father would pass away. He would get double blessing, and anything that was his father's, he would begin to manage. Everything from all of the other siblings, anybody else that was involved, it was a big deal to have the birthright blessing in those days. He sold his birthright as the firstborn son to his brother Jacob for a bowl of red stew. And I'm going to read the story to you in just a few minutes. But be, and because he had red hair and sold his birthright for a bowl of red stew, they nicknamed him Edom, which means red. Hey, Edom, come on over here. All right, so know this also, that as the firstborn, when you took on yourself the responsibility of taking over the family, that's exactly what it was. It was responsibility. And embracing that responsibility of taking over the family when dad passed away, embracing the responsibility of all the finances and everything that needed to be taken care of, that was a lot of work. And so being the firstborn was a very responsible situation that you had to understand. But this guy was free in spirit. He was like a dog without a chain. He could go anywhere. Y'all remember the, the movie Barnyard? Remember the little baby cow in Barnyard? He was that. You know, let's just go and have fun. Woohoo! And life is fun. I'm going to take care of myself and I'm just going to go out. And he was a hunter and he would roam the open country. That was Esau. That was Edom. Good old Red. And you can imagine at the end of his life, I've been to a lot of funerals in my life because of my vocation, right? I've been to a lot of funerals and I've heard so many stories. And, and one thing that I've learned, especially in deep Texas back in the woods, when I would go to a funeral in, uh, yeah, I've learned to not ask certain questions. Things like, just imagine him up in heaven right now. What is he doing right now? Don't ask that question. <laughs> because actually one of the answers that I, I got one, at one place was, well, he's in a lawn chair drinking a beer. And, you know, what am I supposed to start arguing with that at a funeral? <laughs> Where's that in the Bible, right? Not going to do that. But I can clearly see Esau's funeral. This is one of those funerals with an open mic. The guy gets up and he reads a brief obituary and says something funny about Old Red. And then he says, if anybody has anything to say about Old Red, come on up and tell us about it. And you can just hear the stories about Old Red Esau. Well, I'll never forget the time. He was so cold, we were hunting and he was out there and got in his tent, and it was so cold, he let his camel come in and lay, on, lay next to him for heat. Everybody laughs. Pretty fun. Another one gets up and talks about how old Red was the greatest deer hunter he'd ever seen. Yeah, I remember the time that we went hunting, and he was sitting there so quiet. He could sit so still, not make a noise. But I'd brought a backpack. I had some crackers in it. I got bored and hungry. 
And I reached over and I got those crackers out of that backpack. And when I started opening that package, old Red, I'll never forget the look on his face when he turned around and looked at me. Everybody laughs. But at a funeral like that, you don't hear anything about how much he loved God. And how he turned his life over to God and had a relationship with him. And how meaningful he actually was in this world. And living for God. And serving others. And caring for others. He was just on his own mission. You see, those are great and funny, funny stories. And, and we can tell them all day long at a funeral. But where's God in someone's life is what really matters. And you know that this story was brought up at his funeral. Let me read it to you. As Jacob and Esau grew older, Esau liked the outdoors and became a good hunter. While Jacob settled down and became a shepherd. So Jacob was a shepherd, Esau was a hunter. Esau would take the meat of wild animals to his father Isaac, and so Isaac loved him more. But Jacob was his mother's favorite son. All right, so we got a mother's boy and a daddy's boy. All right, two totally different guys, two totally different men. One day, excuse me, Jacob was cooking some stew. So Jacob was cooking. When Esau came home hungry from, from hunting, I'm starving to death. Give me some of that red stew right now. That's how Esau got the name Edom. Jacob replied, sell me your rights as the firstborn son. I'm about to die. What good will those rights do me? But Jacob said, promise me your birthrights here and now. And that's what Esau did. Jacob then gave Esau some bread and some of the bean stew. And when Esau had finished eating and drinking, he got up and left, showing how little he thought of his rights as the firstborn. So we fast forward some hundreds of years to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And it's addressed here. This situation is addressed here. And in, the, in chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, we have a picture being painted of God the Father and how He was always loving, how God the Father is always patient, how He's always trying to correct us and help us in this life to not make life about these little bowls of stew, but make life about the promises of God, the good things of God, and to make life about the, the best that we can have as opposed to just living for the little stuff. And and so that's what this chapter is about. And he says in this chapter, watch out for immoral and ungodly people like Esau who sold his future blessing for only one meal. You know how later he wanted it back, but there was nothing he could do to change things, even though, and look at this, he begged his father and cried. So at some point, Esau went, oh, what did I do that for? And he begged his father, make it right, make it right. Let me have my, my birthright back. You see, Esau was his father's favorite. His father would have done anything for him, but he couldn't because Esau cared so much about many other things, he missed out on the greatest blessing of his life. One bowl of soup changed everything for him. And after he ate it, and it's interesting, we read it. After he ate it, what does it say? He just got up and walked away. He gave no thought to it. 
until later. So let's analyze this for a little bit. Do you think Jacob knew his brother's weakness? Jacob had a plan, didn't he? He's like, man, one day my brother's going to come in and he's not going to have gotten anything and I'm going to have a nice bowl of stew ready for him and he will, he's so dumb, he's going to sell his birthright to me. You know he knew that. He planned it. How was Esau threatened? When Esau came in from the fields, how was he threatened? Security, significance, or intimate relationships? His security. That was it. He didn't even have all three threats going on. He didn't care about his birthright. That means he didn't care about his status in the family. He didn't care about his father in that moment because that's his intimate relationship. He's closer to his father than anybody else. Well, he didn't care about his father and what his father thought of him at all. He was willing to give all of that away. What did he care about? His security, the food that he needed for his body. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think really he would have died from that situation? Do you think he exaggerated this situation maybe? <laughs> I didn't get me a squirrel. I needed a squirrel, and I didn't get a squirrel. Didn't even get a squirrel. I wanted a deer, but I, I just didn't even get a squirrel. Nothing to eat. Now I've, I've got this huge problem. How many times do we make this out of this? So that we can get what we want. Something that will destroy our lives, which is really nothing more than a bowl of soup. How could he have rerouted his thinking? Asked, please? Can I just have some soup without selling you my birthright? Or he could have said, you know, this is just one meal. Surely I'm going to be able to go out in the field and get something else if Jacob doesn't give me something to eat. Or I can at least go eat some leaves somewhere. I will talk to my mom. Surely mom's got some crackers. He could have rerouted his thinking. He could have decided, you know what? My birthright is way more important. This thing, my birthright is way more important than this measly little bowl of stew. He could have rerouted his thinking. And he could have made the right thing the big thing. But he didn't. How could he have elevated others? Who could he have elevated here? His father, absolutely. Isaac, right? He could have elevated Isaac, his father, because his father was like, this is a big thing. Now, you understand, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it could have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But all we know about is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because Jacob, the brother, is the one that ended up with the blessing. So he could have definitely respected his father and what his father wanted. He thought he could have thought about not having the blessing, what it would, have, would do to affect his children to come. It was going to affect his entire lineage. 
And he could have said, you know what? I'm going to hold on to this blessing and I'm going to get the blessing from my father because my children are coming and they're going to need this. His entire lineage. Amazing he could have, how he could have elevated some others. Listen, you can sell your entire blessing out for a little bowl of soup in your life. You can do that. The feeling of getting revenge, is it worth it? That moment of pleasure for your entire future, is it worth it? When, you, when your pride gets to you and someone hurts your pride this big and suddenly you've got the right to do this, is it worth it? Now listen, I know we're sitting in church and all of this is common sense, right? But here's what I also know. You and I are going to be out there in the world and the enemy is going to come at us. And listen, he's like Jacob. He knows your weakness. And at some point, you're going to come in famished. You're going to come in and you're going to be like, oh, man, I deserve. Oh, you do? Okay. I have cooked this up for you. And oh, it smells so good. It smells just like a bowl of tasty cakes. <laughs> it's so good. Look at that. Oh, and if you'll have this, but you must sell me your birthright. You must give me the rest of your life. But it's worth it, isn't it? Look at this bowl of, oh, it's just wonderful. That's what the enemy does. And in that moment, it is so easy. It's so easy. Sure. What good is that going to do me if I don't have this at the moment? So using relate, doing relationships God's way, it's going to protect your future. It will. Listen, I know people that have traded their entire family in for a bowl of soup. I know a guy that was in ministry. The last that I heard of him last year was he was homeless, had traded in his entire church, his entire family, and was homeless alone on the streets for a bowl of soup. I know people that, in, that have traded in their church family so they could have, trying to have a bowl of soup. They wanted something and because they didn't get their bowl of soup the way they wanted it, they left their entire church family. And what happens? They weep and they cry wanting their church family but they traded it in for something that pride told them was theirs. Are you following me? Eternity. All of eternity. We traded in for a bowl of soup. The good news is this. 
as long as you're alive, there's still hope. You can still have it. You can still have what God has, the blessing. You can still align yourself under God's blessing. As long as you're alive. How many of you are alive today? You can still have the blessing. I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. Well, John, I've messed up. Guess what? It's still there. Well, John, I, dr- I, I did have the bowl of soup. Okay, but you're not dead yet. And as long as you're breathing and as long as there's blood pumping in these veins and you can still accept Christ into your life, that blessing is still there. I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. The blessing is still there. You can still let God in. And here's the thing. The Father wants you to do that. The Father wants to come live inside of you. He wants to have that relationship with you. He wants to do amazing things in your life. And He wants to give you the blessing. That's what the Father wants. It's the story of the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son? He walked out. He went out into the wilderness, to another city, and he spent all of the money that his father gave him. And he came back, ah, Father, I just would be your servant. It would be better than living out there in the pigsty where I was. And he approaches his father, but what happened? The father ran to him, didn't he? And that's the picture that Jesus gives us of the Father wanting to be in your life. He will run to you if you'll just turn His direction. And He will come in and He'll say, I will bless you again. You see, God may look at you and say, yeah, you hurt. You've had pain. You think because of that pain, you think because of that struggle that you deserve this bowl of soup. Pride tells us that we deserve the bowl of soup. And God says, you think that that's what will help you through this and to deal with this and cope with it and to comfort you or to calm you down. But that bowl of soup compared to what I have to offer is nothing. If you will push that aside and embrace what I offer to you, you'll find yourself living a real life of blessing. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said, and don't you know he's been there when he, he said, heaven is so amazing. And this is how he put it. He said, it's like the guy that went into a field and found a hidden treasure. And he buried it back and went and sold everything that he has. He sold his house. He sold his cars. He sold everything and he, he, He sold all of his possessions in order to go and buy that one field. And and it's kind of interesting because that field, it doesn't say that it's got a stream going through it. It doesn't say it's got trees everywhere. It says that it's just a field. So when you look at the field, you go, well, why is it worth that much that he would go and sell everything he has to buy that one piece of land? Because there's a treasure hidden inside of it. And Jesus said, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like getting, selling everything just to have that. It's worth going homeless over for a while just to have it. That's how awesome the kingdom of heaven is. And Jesus has seen it. Jesus also said it's like this. The kingdom of heaven is like what happens when a shop owner is looking for fine pearls. After finding a very valuable one, the owner goes and sells everything in order to buy that pearl. How is a pearl made? Pressure, 
What? Irritation. Irritation. Where is a pearl made? In an oyster? You find something like that, something that is precious, something that is very unique, and he says, it's worth giving everything for. The kingdom of heaven is like what happens when a net is thrown into a lake and catches all kinds of fish. Leading up to that, let me read this. Your salvation depends on what you decide to value in your life. Your salvation depends on what you decide to value in your life. And so this is what Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is like what happens when a net is thrown into a lake and catches all kinds of fish. When the net is full, it's dragged to the shore, and the fishermen sit down to separate the fish. They keep the good ones, but throw the bad ones away. That's how it will be at the end of time. Angels will come and separate the evil people from the ones who have done right. Then those evil people will be thrown into a flaming furnace where they will cry and grit their teeth in pain. Like who? Like Esau. So what is he saying? Here's the choice. Here's the choice. I remember very vividly one day a woman was sitting in my office and she had come in she'd been visiting the church for a while but she hadn't accepted Christ into her life yet and she's sitting there trembling as she began to share with me that if she accepted Jesus into her life she would never get to go home and see her parents who lived on the other side of the world because for her it would mean death Betrayal to her family, betrayal to her religion. And I said, well, it's your choice. It seems like you're at that crossroads today. What do you want? See your family or the kingdom of heaven? She chose the kingdom of heaven. And in so doing, she had to say no to the rest of her life of seeing her family. Now you understand, Jacob had that choice. Jacob wanted the birthright so bad, God's blessing, that he had to choose to never see his mama again because he stole the birthright or he swindled the birthright and he stole the blessing. And these are choices that we have to make is God more than anything else in my life is God more than what I want is God more than what my flesh tells me I need would I starve to death for him would I go to the stake for him so many of you have already made that choice in your lives You've given up the bowls of soup that this world offers, addictions. Some of you I know gave up drugs. Some of you I know gave up alcohol. You said, you know what? I'm done with it. I'm embracing God's kingdom, and I'm going to live a life of victory instead of a life of just one bowl of soup after another. I'm tired of that life. 
It's choices that you and I have made in our lives that will get us to a place where God is able to say, you're my child. It's beautiful. Jesus is so confident that this is the right decision that you will never regret it. I know a woman who accepted Jesus into her life knowing that her husband was going to divorce her if she did. She gave up this emotionally abusive, selfish windbag, the bowl of beans for Jesus. And she never regretted it. He's confident. You'll be glad that you did. One day a rich man came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to receive the kingdom of God? Anybody know what Jesus told him? Sell everything. Now, is Jesus saying that we can't be wealthy or have money? No, he knew what was in that man's heart. And he knew it was destroying him. You've got to decide in your heart that God's kingdom is really what you want. It's your decision. I can't make it for you. The Apostle Paul wrote that the key to having the, this mindset is to take time to imagine God's kingdom on a consistent basis. James David, would you come? Look at that statement. The key to having this mindset is to take time to imagine God's kingdom on a consistent basis. When's the last time you thought about what heaven is, is about and what it looks like? I want to take you there this morning for a few minutes as we conclude. Remember when you were a kid and you imagined what your adult life would look like? What kind of things did you want when you'd grow up? Anybody? Ferrari? Who said that? Oh, Hop? Yeah. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> what kind of things, what kind of dreams did you have when you were a kid? Yeah, family, career. Angela always dreamed, my late wife always dreamed of having a little girl named Laura Ashley. Aren't you glad she dreamed of her? And God gave her so much more, all four. It's time to begin to dream like that for heaven. What do you want to do in heaven? It's hard for us to even imagine it, isn't it? Well, I guess we're just going to sit around on clouds all day playing some harp be boring. I actually received a, a note, an anonymous note. I don't normally read those, but I did this one. An anonymous note from a lady that, oh, I assume it was a lady. It was written like a lady. <laughs> but that said, I don't think I want to go to heaven. It sounds boring to me. I mean, can't talk about anybody. 
nothing bad. And they were serious. We have no idea what we're looking forward to. And it's so easy for us to trade that for this on a daily basis. And it's time for God's people to begin to believe in a land that is bigger and greater than America. A place that is full of absolute freedom, hope. The scripture says, He will wipe every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. I'm going to read some scriptures to you. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. How is a pearl made? Oyster? That is some big oyster. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. We have no idea what actual pure gold looks like, apparently. In my Father's house, Jesus said, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm not going to lie to you, he says. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, where I was talking about earlier, he's talking about uh, the difference between the. Remember in, in Exodus chapter 20 when God gave the Ten Commandments and there was smoke and there was lightning and the people were scared half to death. They're like, Moses, you go talk to him. We, God was scaring them at the moment to help them to understand that the Ten Commandments were serious. This is how he wanted his people to live a life not based on the bowl of soup, but understanding that they had this huge relationship with him. And he says, all right, here's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You didn't come to Mount Sinai where that happened. All of the volcanic blaze and earth-shaking rumble to hear God speak. The ear-splitting words and soul-shaking message terrified them. And they begged him to stop. No, that's not the, your experience at all. You've come to Mount Zion, the city where the city where the living God resides, the invisible Jerusalem is populated by throngs of festive angels and Christian citizens. Boy, get the picture of that. Festive angels and Christian citizens. It is the city where God is judge with judgments that he makes are just. You've come to Jesus who presents us with a new covenant, a fresh charter from God. Do you see what we've got? An unshakable kingdom. And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship, deeply reverent before God. What is he saying? He's saying the little measly bowl of soup is nothing compared to what we have in store for us. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? John wrote about his vision of heaven. He said, after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes. Oh my God, what a beautiful, beautiful sight. 
He says, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a beautiful, beautiful place of worship. Revelation chapter 7, the one sitting on the throne will shelter them. They will never be hungry nor thirsty and they will be fully protected from the scorching noontime heat. For the Lamb standing in front of the throne will feed them and be their shepherd and lead them to the springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away their tears. Chapter 19, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Wow, what a beautiful, amazing, amazing thing. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. What's keeping you from heaven? What little thing are you holding on to? You know, and this is the question to ask those in our family, friends or neighbors. This is the question. Is what you're holding on to really worth losing your entire soul? I don't like it that God doesn't like what I like. Is it worth it? If what we just read is true, and indeed it is, there is nothing worth missing out on that. experts of our day Paul wrote this he's talking about the religious experts the experts of our day the religious elite haven't a clue about what this eternal plan is they haven't even thought about it he's saying if they had they wouldn't have killed the master of the God designed life on a cross that's why we have this scripture. No one has ever seen or heard anything like this. Never so much as imagined anything quite like it. What God has arranged for those who love Him. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, but 
God has prepared for those who love Him. Man, do you see it? Would you close your eyes? Would you just begin to envision some of the things that we just read? I love watching my little grandson as he walks around the house and he's just investigating, he's exploring. Everything is so new. Everything is so awesome. If you pick up something to look at, he's got to run across the room to see what you're looking at because, wow, it must be interesting. Grandpa's looking at it. Imagine what it's going to be like when you step across that line and there is a pearly gates. It's a giant pearl. And you walk through that. You look down and the streets are pure gold so much that they're clear. And you can sense the presence and the love of God like never before. His welcoming presence of love and peace tears that may be coming down your eyes. Suddenly you reach, you feel him reach and he begins to wipe and he says, welcome home. My good and faithful servant, you've been faithful with a few things. Oh, but you have no idea what I have in store for you. Welcome home. The life that God has for you is so much bigger than your addiction. The life that God has for you is so much bigger than your sexuality. The life that God has for you is so much bigger than whatever you want revenge for. It's so much bigger than what you want someone to pay you for, the pain that you've experienced in this life. It's so much bigger than all of that. It's time to trade the bowl of soup for the birthright. Would you present it to him right now? Father, the enemy has tricked me. Here's the bowl. I bring it to you. And I want to trade it in for your blessing. give it to you. I forgive those who hurt me. Here's the soup. It's yours, God. God, I don't know what to do with my addiction other than to bring it to you. Here it is. I want to trade it in for eternal life. And I want your comfort to help me cope with my pain. I give you my life.
want to get to know who you are and what you like and what you don't like and live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name.